0: All right, you tell me when we're going. I think we're going. All right, three, two, one, here we go! All right, want to welcome everybody to the KC Praxis Podcast. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, there's actually three of us. Normally, it's just myself or Liz recording alone, but we have a, a conversational thing going on. So I'm here with Liz.
1: Yep. Yep. And here I am. <laughs> and, and Allison.
0: Allison. <laughs> and we apologize if it's a little echoey we're like in the cavernous space of the 118 center right now um, all of us have it's funny we're like this is uh, one of the more busy teams there are I think on planet Lodi we have lots yeah. going on this morning <laughs> Liz has a heart out in exactly 48 minutes um, so we're gonna we're gonna blaze through this thing the good thing is we've already taught on it um, it's it's material that we're familiar with and it's something that we're really excited about so um, For those of you guys who haven't been following along, I would really encourage you to go back and pick up the first lesson, which will kind of lay the framework for what we're talking about. Uh, We've been talking about the temple um, and really the way the theme of the temple courses through the entirety of Scripture. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, and it ends in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. It's these descriptions of God building his temple. And again, last week we talked about how temple was always meant to be the whole earth. It was always meant to be the whole thing. Like the whole thing was God's space and the whole world was an opportunity to be in worship and to be in connection with God. Which to me was just kind of a pretty found, a pretty profound, sorry, uh re-realization, you know, to kind of come back to that and go, wow, this is pretty cool, right? That the whole thing belongs to him.
1: Yeah. And if you don't have that as a like a foundation when you're walking into this. It changes the whole idea of what yeah. tabernacle and temple mm-hmm. and everything is yeah. so if you come in knowing that the whole earth mm-hmm. was originally supposed to be that it kind of changes that trajectory of, yeah. of the way you're thinking about that
0: yeah yeah and it should kind of change everything like we're stressed out this morning all of us because we've got different things going on but this space this cavernous center is our place of worship now right we're before the lord right now he's with us he's here and I think I almost need to affirm that this morning, <laughs> with everything that's been going down. So I don't know, Allie. Any thoughts on that? No.
2: Nope. <laughs> Just here.
0: She's all right. Allie's gonna have some <laughs> insights see this later. Cool on. setup, though. This uh,
2: podcast thing is legit. I know.
0: Liz podcasting. is currently drinking.
2: Hey.
1: Drinking, drinking. Uh, <laughs> no, not drinking. <laughs> explain it drinking. Is. <laughs> it is a rainbow unicorn bang energy drink. Oh that's, gosh. Because she doesn't drink a, coffee. It's been a long morning already, so <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long day.
0: Eight fifteen, and she's most of the way through a bang. That's awesome. Never. I have how just
1: many cups of coffee have you had?
0: Lukewarm coffee. I've I made switched. it
2: like. I don't drink coffee anymore, from Mount Shasta. There what, you go. What are you yeah. drinking?
0: What do you got? Tea. Yeah. This wouldn't be a proper Casey podcast if we didn't describe what we were drinking. Yeah. You
1: know what? But mine has natural flavors
0: <laughs> Rain, natural <laughs> <laughs> rainbow unicorn flavors. Yep. Oh, that poor That's unicorn, awesome.
1: That sacrifice itself to be in your bang. Do.
0: <laughs> Holy moly. That's great. Well, we should talk about the tabernacle as we worship the Lord with the, with the aromas of rainbow unicorn and black tea and some hour old Pete's coffee. <laughs> this morning. All right, you guys, we're going to start in the New Testament, actually, and we'll be back into the Old Testament. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, you can open it up, and a good place to have it, um, I don't even know, this kind of jumps around, um, but we're in the New Testament, John chapter 1. Um, there's a prologue, really famous prologue, uh, in the beginning of the book of John, and it goes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Um, And the whole thing, again, serves to bring us back, to bring the reader's mind back to the beginning of the story when God was present with human beings. Um, In the beginning, this is the way it was. And the prologue goes on, and later on it says, the word that was there in the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt there, uh, and again, that's an important passage in Christianity. It refers to the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Um, So that's an important part of our faith. Uh, But for the ancient Jewish person, the ancient Jewish reader or hearer of this story, uh, where it says dwelt, the actual literal translation from Greek to Hebrew of that word is tabernacled. For us, it'd be pitched his tent among us. So God came, the word came and pitched his tent, tabernacled among us. Um, If you're a Jewish person, that word would take you back. It would cause an emotional reaction in you because your people were once a rescued from bondage and oppression in Egypt. They were delivered into a promised land, and the tabernacle was the culmination of that story. Uh, A lot of times we think the culmination is the Red Sea, right? The parting of the Red Sea, God delivering his people, but really the whole thing was out of the book of Genesis. There's this separation introduced between God and man, God and human beings, Um, and when the tabernacle is given to them, the first time that tent is pitched, um, that's God becoming present with his people once more um because again from the moment human beings were expelled from the garden god has been working out his plan to get back to us that's the story of the scriptures and so when god literally comes and journeys with the people and camps with them that's a big deal that is a decisive moment in the canon of scripture um just kind of moving on here i'm going to move quickly through this part just kind of lay a foundation and then we'll get into some of the meaning um So again, wherever God is found in the Old Testament from the time you exit the garden, from the time of the fall, wherever God is found, that place, it becomes important, right? That place is deemed to be holy. Even though all of creation is God's temple, we've established that, um, all of it belongs to him. After there's this expulsion from the garden, any time that God shows up or any time God is encountered, that place becomes important. Um, It's why like Jacob you know, as, as he is journeying through the desert, there's this story where he lays down and he has a pillow made of rock and then he, he has this encounter with God going up and down the ladder and then he goes, wow, well, this place, this place, this little location is now holy. Um, it's why to this day we want to go back and we want to journey through Israel because that is the land that Jesus walked and it's important It becomes sacred space and um, The promise of God is that I will be in your presence. I will be with you. You will be my people. Um, And so the whole point of the tabernacle is to say this space is marked out as sacred. This is a space where it can be declared once again, God is with us. That space is a tent. Um, It's literally a tent. It can be packed up and unpacked. It has to be carried with them because God's people are on the move. They're journeying from Egypt to the promised land. Important to note here that the people only know when to move to pack up the tent, right? And when to stop and and pitch the tent when God moves or God stops. There's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day going before them on this journey. So God is leading them. So God's presence already isn't limited to the tent, right? God is literally out there leading them on this journey. But when the fire stops, they stop. And at that place, they're given specific instructions to build and pitch God's tent. There's a specific way they're supposed to do this. The camp was supposed to be laid out, if you can imagine it, in a circle. Um, All the tribes had their place where their tents were supposed to be in the camp. And then in the direct center of the camp, God's tent would be placed, which was symbolic on so many levels. It's a reminder that God keeps his promise. He said, I will be in the midst of my people. Uh, It's also symbolic in that in all Near Eastern cultures, when a nation was on the move, when an army went out for battle, Uh, the king would pitch his tent in the middle of the army. If it was a nomadic nation, there were many nomadic nations at this time, the king or the leader of that nation would pitch their tent in the center. The central tent is to be occupied by the king. God's people, their king is God. Um, The structure of the tabernacle, very, very specific instructions were given. There's a specific family in the tribe of Levi who basically lived their whole lives training from the time they were young so that they could properly pitch and tear down the tent. Um, it was 10,000 square feet in size, and so we're sitting in the middle of this teen center, which is kind of big, um, <clears throat> double this, a little more than double this, and that was the size of the tabernacle. Um, so it was huge. It was massive. Uh, there, it was divided into a series of courts. There's the outer court uh, and then an inner court, and then inside that there's an innermost place, which was called the Holy of Holies. Uh, in the outer court, when you walked in, there would be two pieces of equipment. A laver, which is basically a bronze basin or a vessel that you washed yourself in, and then an altar, uh, the altar of offering. The laver is where you would wash or the priest specifically would come to wash. So the priest would come in and purify themselves so that they could approach the presence of God on behalf of the nation. That's gonna become important here in a minute. Um, The altar is where an animal would be sacrificed um, because remember, even though God is here, even though he's present in there, in the tent, in the Holy of Holies, He is holy. And the fall introduces separation between humans and God. So if you want to approach God and connect with him or be forgiven by him, there's this symbolic process that you need to go through. You need to become clean. You need to offer your very best things, your very best possessions, as a symbolic way of saying it all comes from him and it all belongs to him. Um. (laughs) Sorry, in the background there's a... (laughs) (laughs) Ali is uh, looking at the bang, intrigued by the amino acids and the different things that are, it's Liz's offering this morning to God. That's right. (laughs) Zero calories.
2: All right. It's really funny.
0: It's just an interesting, what I'm describing and watching you guys looking at this. (laughs) it's really funny. Okay. So going on, you don't have to erase that. That's great. I love it. Um,
1: I'm not going to. This only works if it's like a one take. Yeah, I know. (laughs) One take. This is
0: happening in one take. So any bloopers are yours for the taking.
2: We had already heard the talk. Yes, that's true. I was curious about Uh, the bank. But it's just so interesting.
0: You should be so interested the second time we go through this. You're you're right. (laughs) All right. We're purifying ourselves symbolically here. Um, So again, you're making an offering. You're doing these things to approach God. Because the the whole thing in this is you're approaching that which is holy, right? You're approaching something that is beyond you. You're approaching God. And so you see that even in the structure of the tent. Each successive court has items that are more precious in them than the last. Because the closer you get to the inner sanctum, the closer you get to God. And when you come to the inner place, into the holy of holies, you would find certain items you would find a seven-branched candlestick well first of all before you got in there there was a curtain that divided the holy of holies from the outer courts and that curtain uh, was to be adorned by a skilled craftsman with an image of an angel um, which takes the reader's mind back to the angel the cherubim that are guarding the entrance to eden Um, so this is eden you're coming in to the space and the place where things are as they were intended to be um in there you find a candlestick, um, seven branches, which would symbolize the light of God in the seven days of creation. So again, it's taking you back. All things here are as God intends them. There's light here, right? The light is divided from the darkness. There's so much going on there. You have the table of the showbread, where there's a loaf of bread provided for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the altar of incense. As a way of saying what happens here in this space is beautiful. It gives a pleasant... There's As you walk in, it's like... it. it There's an aroma here. Um, Later on in the prophets, it would talk about the fragrance of God's people being an aroma to God. But when the people lost their way, when they started to oppress others or forget their stories, then their activity, their religious activity is talked about as a stench on God's nostrils, right? So the symbolism of all these items starts to play itself out, and you start to see it literally all over the Bible. The tabernacle, if you start looking for it, will be seen everywhere in the scriptures. And we don't have a ton of time to get into all of it here. Um, but as you kind of, th- so if you kind of like take a step back and think about what's been described there and think about what the tabernacle is, uh, I know Liz, you had kind of some interesting thoughts about, you know, the senses and and all of those things.
1: Yeah. So if you're, um, anything like me, I'll speak for myself. Um, when you go through like a Bible in the year reading plan, you get to this part in Exodus and even in Leviticus and all of those things, and you just kind of get this, like glazed look over your eyes because it's just a lot of instructions that don't mean a whole lot to us when you're just reading it as like a list, you know. If we're not putting everything together, so for me when I when I read this, I kind of go, Oh great, here we go, the list of how to build a tabernacle that I will never actually build. But here we go, you know, I'm going to check those boxes off. But when you start to really look at the the types of material they were they were they were gathering, the the types of things that they were um, it's kind of everything that was in the tabernacle, the way that it felt, the way that it looked, the way that it smelled, the, way, the things that you would kind of go through and, 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 and use as a, as a process to purify yourself before God, all of it was supposed to take you back to Eden. It was all supposed to take you back to the place where it all started. Um, and that the, this worship experience wasn't just something you came, sat down, and watched, but it was something that you actively participated in with your whole with your whole self and all of it was supposed to just take you back to that that place in Eden where heaven and earth met where where God and man lived together and and had this experience together living through life that's what it was supposed to be like and obviously sin entered all of that and and things changed but but God still very much wants that that intimate experience with us where we are living together um you know and throughout scripture or throughout um I shouldn't say scripture I should say you know we hear so often that you know, God has to be separate from us. He he can't be near us because of sin. And, and all of that is true, but that's not necessarily the narrative either because here we see that God very much wants to be living in the midst of his people. He very much wants to be right in the middle of it where we're following him, where we are, we're dependent on him telling us where to go and where to stop and what to do. Um, he very much wants to be with us. Yeah.
0: Don't you wish you had a pillar of fire? <laughs> you know. Every day. <laughs> yeah, like Lord just... Tell me what to do, what to say, where to go, how to move. Um, You talked specifically kind of about how the temple was designed, or the tabernacle here was designed to invoke the five senses. Um, And I thought there was just an interesting story you shared. Um, It wasn't a story, it was... Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so one of my
1: favorite, one little like nerdy fact about me, I love like Broadway musicals. Um, you probably wouldn't get that vibe from me, looking at me and listening to the things I listen to in my car. Um, but one of our favorite... Um, I get
0: Metallica vibes from you. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why that is. I always think that Liz's soundtrack is
1: you know, You're not metal. wrong. It's all kind of everywhere in there. Um, it's the emo phase of life. I grew up in that era Um, but uh, one of my our favorite ones as a family um, my sister-in-law and I quote it back and forth a lot is In the Heights Um, it's a Lin-Manuel Miranda um, musical but there is a character in this this is not an endorsement to like it's obviously not a Christian thing so whatever it's on HBO Max if that that tells you kind of you know it's it's a normal it's a musical anyway um, there's a character in it her name is Nina who grew up in Washington Heights this whole movie takes part in Washington Heights in New York and their block is being erased, like all the little mom and pop things are being um, kind of overtaken by big corporate things, and so the, the character and the culture of this neighborhood is leaving, and Nina grew up in that culture, and she's one of the few who made it out, like, so she went to Stanford for college, and she comes back for the summer, and this is kind of the whole premise of the movie, and she, a few times throughout this musical, says, let me listen to my neighborhood, And all of a sudden, her microphone goes off, and all of the other sounds around her, you know, are are elevated. So you hear the birds, you hear people talking, you hear buses go by, you hear people barbecuing. And all of a sudden, this moment, in the middle of this kind of chaotic scene, just comes to a standstill. And you can just kind of experience everything that she's experiencing in this moment. And that's kind of what this is supposed to be like. You know, the tabernacle, when you walked into it, was supposed to be this place of, let me listen to what God has for me. Let me remember who I am and let me remember the promises that God has promised me that are still true today, that he is with me, that he is faithful, that I am in such desperate need of him to follow him because I don't know where I'm going unless this pillar of fire is in front of me. I don't know where to go. And so we're supposed to be walking into this remembering who we are, remembering who God is, and trusting that he has the best best for us. Mm
0: -hmm. And what I love about that is... It's almost like you walk in and there those, those things in there are there to remind you of, almost remind you of God's presence outside the tabernacle, mm-hmm. right? Like you the, the incense would invoke, you know, something in you. You would smell something sweet, which actually you can go out and find in the bushes in the desert. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so God's presence, all of it belongs to him. Going back to the Genesis, the whole thing is to take us back to a reality or a, a sense that the whole thing is his temple. We can worship him and find him in the neighborhood right yeah. Yeah. so going
1: along with that whole theme you know it's been a while um usually I have to do it in the spring but this spring was so rainy could not do it very often um I like to start my morning on my balcony just either reading or you know drinking tea or some kind of rainbow unicorn drink um just to like start my day off quietly and to listen to as my neighborhood wakes up um my neighborhood wakes up a little bit later I was since, gonna say <laughs> like <it's>, noon <laughs> yeah it's a little bit later um But it's just, you know, it just grounds me because in that moment I can say, okay, I can put all of my anxieties, all my fears, all my all the plans that I have for my day aside and trust that what's coming up next God has planned for me. And I can kind of ground myself there. And I think there are places all around our lives where we can really experience that. If you think about when you go to a really nice restaurant, you know, the the lighting is a certain way, the the music is a certain volume. So you can hear it, but you don't really know it's playing. You know, the food is gonna taste good and all of a sudden this could be a really great worship experience because all of a sudden you're remembering oh god provided all of this for me all of yes. this is an experience mm-hmm. so i think there, there are times in our lives where we have to stop and really look at where we are and find and find ourselves in a place of worship
0: yeah yeah and that place then should inform the rest of our life like i've set right. aside this time in this space to to recognize or be in god's presence so that i can recognize him everywhere else
1: yeah, and in some ways our our western our western churches have we've just stopped doing a lot of that where we come to it like I said we come to a church service, we walk in, we sit down. We might have communion, we might not. Mm-hmm. Um things might be too loud, they might not be. You know, and and we start to like kind of pick stuff apart, but we were always meant to really be an integral part of a, of a service, service to bring experience. something to to experience all of it. So
0: Yeah. So that kind of brings up um some of the stuff that Ali was kind of processing as we were going through this, because there, the tabernacle is, the whole worship service of the tabernacle is organized or orchestrated by a group of priests. Um, and Ali, you had some interesting thoughts kind of about, we had lots of interesting thoughts, that was just one of them, but what, what comes up for you as we kind of talk about this worship space?
2: Um, well, I really like what Liz was just saying about um, paying attention to all of the spaces that we're in and making it a place of worship uh, I was struck by the tabernacle and all of the symbols that God has put in the tabernacle so the showbread and the I mean you just listed off a bunch of things <laughs> I was doing a Bethmore study a couple years ago and taking the time to look at every piece that he asked to be put into the tabernacle and the symbolism of each of those. It's reminding the people that God was their rescuer in Egypt, and he's still the rescuer. It's reminding him that he's the one that cleanses, that he has the power, the strength. Um, I was thinking about the repetition of all of these symbols and how when you were to approach the tabernacle as the priest, there were different things that they were supposed to do. When we look at scripture, we ask the question, what does this say about God? What does God want us to know about him? And so as I was listening to your sermon, listening to the three of us kind of process it in advance, I hear God saying, I want you to know that I'm your guide, I'm your mediator, I'm your sacrifice. I'm the bringer of blessings, I cleanse, I have the power and the strength, I rescue, I save. I am present, I am the one who atones. And this repetition of participating with the tabernacle, um, the rituals that the priests had to go through, the fact that they had to have a rope tied around their ankle um, to be in the presence of the holy, it's this repetition that um, reminds the Israelites as their wanderers who their God is. And then it's the same repetition that reminds Israelites when they asked for kings and they were in the prime of their Mm -hmm. tribe um, he's asking them to remember who he is. And then later, as they become oppressed, as they become slaves, as they um, are ruled by others, um, he yet again asked the Pharisees, asked his people to remember who he is. And, and that goes for us today, too. So I was just thinking about how we don't practice, generally our cultures don't practice a lot of repetition, repetition, we do a lot of repetition. We brush our teeth. We check our Facebook. We drink coffee or unicorn Red Bulls. We have repetition in our life, but I think God is so strongly wanting us to put that repetition in our life where we remember who he is so that when we're at the coffee shop or a good restaurant or we're on our deck that um, the first thing that we see is the tabernacle all around us. And then one of the thoughts that I was seeing is how quickly we can forget, if we don't have the repetition in our life or those structures in our life, how quickly we can forget that he is the rescuer and the mediator and can so quickly create dependence on ourselves, whether I'm the one that's gonna do it, I'm the one who can save people, I'm strong enough for somebody else. I think about at 180 we have tutors and mentors and counselors and team members and like all throughout the city and how easily it is to know that we are doing this because we have a God who is powerful and a rescuer and the lover of all, right? But how quickly we can switch it to a dependence on ourselves without even meaning to. Again, the Israelites did it as wanderers. They did it when they had their own kingdom, and they did it again when they were oppressed. Um, how quickly and easily it is for us. So for me, when I think of the tabernacle, it's um, how do we have enough repetition in our lives where we can springboard into a tabernacle wherever we are
0: yeah you talked about how the priest the whole point of the priest is not to become the focal point or not to be the one who saves or not to be the one who you know does the work on behalf of the people it's to mediate between god and the people to say Mm -hmm. i am here to point the way or to create an opportunity for you to connect to meet with the guide you know the savior the redeemer the one that we're supposed to be focused in on, and how often, you know, we forget that in our role as followers of Jesus, right, we, we have now the priesthood of all believers, any of us that are followers of Jesus. We are, in effect, priests. But our role is not to become the Savior, right? Our role is not to become the the God for people, you know. And I think so often we, I mean, I, we've had experiences like this even in our own house where it's like, it's my job to make sure that my kids succeed or you know and really ultimately it's not we're we are supposed to mediate between them and the lord you know and so even as a parent you know Mm -hmm. if i can recast my role as a parent as that priest role like i'm gonna i'm going to go and create an opportunity or orchestrate maybe you know or remove the obstacles so that so that our kids can know who their savior is can follow the only one that can you know help them into the next phase of life i I don't know. We that that conversation to me was just really helpful. So, yeah.
2: Well, even last night, I, we were at a Bible study, and I, I slipped back into um, like, let's pray for a situation, but then maybe maybe I should blah blah blah, as <laughs> if I could solve anything. But it's that. I mean, praxis is about participating, mm-hmm. but we can't participate like overshadow like God is the one our, our meager efforts are so small compared to
1: well and it's so much of how we've been taught too yes. of like well we can go in and fix this where you know with when you have the tabernacle there and you're literally bringing like a lamb that is going to get know. slaughtered like all of a sudden no I can't fix anything like the the, the very vivid picture that's going to happen right in front of mm-hmm. me is very much that I am not the savior that I am the one in desperate need of a savior
2: because he's so holy mm-hmm. I mean that's We've yeah. lost yeah that uh holiness. So how can we put that in
0: front? We've all had these pillar of fire moments where God I mean, we sit around this table because God has revealed Himself in our lives, right? He has shown himself not only to be real, but to be a savior, to be a redeemer. He's done miracles, you know, in our presence, before our eyes, and how quickly we go back. Like you were talking about last night, I'm going to pray that God would work, but then I'm going to.
2: Yeah. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed <laughs> yeah, to do then something. And I'm going
0: to also rescue this, what whoever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? You know. So as parents, as you know, we work for a nonprofit, so as you know, ministers, servants, um, friends. Yeah.
2: And I mean, just to be in a relationship with people, you want to be helpful, but yeah. I think just knowing our recognizing our place in comparison to this god who is
0: and i think there's a word there amazing. for our, the way we our churches you know our pastors our ministers like we pastors ministers were never meant to be the point we were never there's one hero of the story and it is not me you know what i mean so i just think there, there's so much here like the whole thing is about the holiness of god mm-hmm. right and the priest has a very small part to play mm-hmm. so um what else you guys i there's this last kind of piece here that I think helps wrap it up, but, but what else kind of came up for you as we were walking through and talking about the tabernacle?
1: Um, I think it's such a, a beautiful, like, foreshadowing picture of the Holy Spirit that comes, right? So, you, I mean, you started in John with and Jesus, you know, tabernacled or, or set up his tent among us. And then, you know, following the, the work of the cross, you know, Jesus promises the, the Holy Spirit to be with us in so many ways um, you can almost put that same language, in that the Holy Spirit tab- is now tabernacled mm-hmm. in me,
0: in me, yeah. in me.
1: You know, and and I don't have to necessarily have a pillar of fire in front of me because I have the pillar of fire in me um, that's mm-hmm. guiding me, telling me where to go, where to stop. Um, you know, but the thing that kind of stinks for the people of Israel and Exodus is they didn't know that yet. You know, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't there for them um, quite yet. And but for us today, we can remember that. And you know, wherever I go. There's a tabernacle with me. Mm-hmm. There's a place of worship with me, in me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Paul talks about how this is the mystery that was hidden for ages, but is now revealed, and that mystery is Christ in you, in yeah. you, and that is the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. Right. So wherever
1: we go, we yeah. carry the hope of glory, which, you know, some of the, I mean, we talk about situations we kind of walk into with families and students and even our own family and friends, you know, and you just kind of go, oh, man, I'm supposed to bring the hope in this? Like. Yeah. That's, it's on like i'm right. doing this yeah. so okay you know yeah, yeah. is yeah, there hope it's, here it's, there yeah. is hope here because i'm bringing it with me yeah,
0: because it's it's not me it's christ right. It's christ in me you know he, that is there is hope wherever potentially yeah <laughs> if we get out of the way and we don't overthink our role as priests here right potentially there's the hope of glory or, if I'm, or
2: yeah. to forget yeah
0: yeah to forget so we could like
2: over try and save everybody yeah or we could just forget and abdicate the we have this opportunity to display yeah. this God.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know. yeah. so to kind of pull this all together, um, because we live in New Testament times, um, we live in you know, <laughs> the age of, of God's people when the Spirit has been released, um, the tabernacle was that symbolic thing, right? It was God's f- sort of first comeback attempt uh, to, to dwell and be with his people. Um, we talked about how you see sort of remnants or whispers of the tabernacle throughout scripture, and you start to really see it after Jesus does his work. So in 2 Corinthians, the work of Jesus is described as a sweet aroma to God, an aroma that brings life, um, which brings your mind to that aroma of the tabernacle, right? The altar of incense. Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. He says a light, right, is, is, shouldn't be hidden. There's almost like this light is no longer hidden deep in the Holy of Holies. It's now put on display. Um, the light of the world, right? Uh, he des- He's described as the bread of life. He describes himself as the bread of life. After he does his miracle, feeding thousands of people with a few loaves and fishes, he says, I am the true bread. Um, he wraps a towel around his waist and washes the feet of his disciples. And then his work on the cross is described over and over again as that which washes you and I clean from our sins. So he is the laver, right? And then obviously, you know, the whole central kind of symbol of the cross is that he is the sacrifice he is described as the lamb um the final sacrifice uh, and so you see the work of jesus in the work of jesus all the elements of the tabernacle he becomes in himself the presence of god among his people and so ali talked about this earlier one day per year the priest back in tabernacle times would go through this elaborate purification process. um only he was allowed to go into and approach what was called the mercy seat of God. So in the Holy of Holies, the most sacred article of the tabernacle was the Ark, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which was this chest um, with all of those beautiful symbolic elements. It was made of acacia wood. It was covered over with pure gold. There were sculptures of angels facing inward toward the center. Um, Inside the Ark, which was a chest, were the Ten Commandments, right? Aaron's rod, a pot of the manna from the wilderness, so these reminders um, of who God was. But the lid of the Ark was called the mercy seat. Um, and Ali described the priest could only go into this central uh, place to make one sacrifice on behalf uh, of, of all of Israel. Um, he had to have a rope attached to his ankle because for anyone else to go in would mean their immediate death. They hadn't purified themselves, so they would have to like, retrieve the priest. if something just to say he had a heart attack in there, whatever it was. We could pull him out because we cannot approach the throne of God. Right? Only the priest could do it. Um, and then he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb, which would be uh, an atonement for all of Israel. So Moses, at one point, goes into the inner sanctum early on. Apparently Moses was allowed to go from time to time too. Uh, This is Numbers chapter 7, and it describes it this way. When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubim, the two angels, and the voice spoke. Uh, notice what happens. This is the first day of the week after Jesus had died and gone to the cross and been laid in the tomb. This is John 20. Mary, okay, not a priest, not Moses, but Mary, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So the place where Jesus was laying in the tomb now has become the mercy seat of God Um, from between the two angels, Right? Every Jewish person reading this would have understood that that was the illusion here. Um, the only difference now is that the voice that speaks is the living God, right? He has taken the whole purpose of the tabernacle and embodied it in himself. And so from behind Mary now speaks Jesus. Um, and it's Mary who's allowed to be in the presence of, of the holy. Um, there's, just this, so, there's so many beautiful things going on there. And she's referred to as the gardener, right?
1: right. That's yeah. like my favorite thing is that it takes you back to, you know, God in his most the way that we see him is in his most natural state Mm -hmm. is a gardener that takes you all the way back to Eden. Back to the garden,
0: yep, yeah, yeah. And it's not, you know, it's very like unworthy, you know what I mean? But now has been made worthy uh, by that one sacrifice once and for all. So to me, it's just such a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit released now out into the world. So
2: it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well, hopefully that gives you some encouragement um, hopefully we can walk out of here Liz over to First Baptist um, Allie's going to go teach a class uh, counseling class mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we're all walking out to our various spaces and places and those spaces and places can be where the hope of glory resides they can be our tabernacle they can be our place of worship God is there right? his presence is out there may we all may you Wherever you're at listening to this, recognize that the presence of God is where you're at. Um, Yeah. Hope you guys have a great week. We will be back for a praxis, um, not this Sunday, but the following. June 4th. June 4th. Yep. Yep. And um, actually, there's a really cool, so by way of announcement, there's a really cool opportunity to come and hang out in the neighborhood hear all the sights and sounds, um, at a block party, summer block party that's going to be happening, Liz.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Horizon Preschool, I'm actually, after my meeting at First Baptist, I'm going over to Horizon because we're celebrating preschool promotion. Um, and on June 3rd, it's on Saturday, um, we're having a block party, just kind of a start of summer block party for the neighborhood. It's going to be cotton candy, popcorn, all-you-can-eat nachos. Um, we would love some help if you would like to come and make cotton candy in the beating sun. Um, but it's just going to be an opportunity to hang out with with families in the neighborhood, and... and uh, just, you know, celebrate the end of the school year. Yeah, ah. that
0: preschool, that school, um, the things that happen in and around that block. Um, and Casey, it's really important to, to our community and our church. So come out and just be there. Be, yeah. be present in that neighborhood. And,
1: come eat popcorn. Yep, come us. eat nachos.
0: Yep, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. We will talk to you again soon. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media SKC Praxis or email us at kcpraxis at
1: 180 Lodi.org.